I want to welcome you today to the start of a brand new collection of sermons that we are calling Built for It. I want to tell you right off the jump today, if you're new with us at Church Online or listening to this podcast, maybe watching on YouTube, and, and you're, you're ready to dive in on this series, let me go ahead and tell you up front so that way you don't come back at me later and be like, you was a little pushy in that series. This series is designed to push you, okay? Like, like, like don't be surprised by it. Like, it is designed to push you into what you were built for. Like, I want to, over these next few installments of this series, push you and challenge you and awaken you. Maybe for some of you, shake you so you will see what you were built for. Because built for it as a collection of sermons is really all about activation. And so each week, I'm going to help you understand why you were built for that thing. And then we're going to help you, whether online or in person, whether you're listening to the podcast and you're listening to it weeks later or you're joining us in real time. We're going to help you be able to take the right next step in this moment. Because you were, I am, we are built for it. Somebody in that chat, help me out right now at Church Online and just type, we're built for it. Come on, somebody even personalize that thing and type, I'm built for it. Now, as we begin this idea, I do want to set it up before we get specific on today. And so I would like to share with you two thoughts that um, will begin this activation and begin this pushing. You see, just because you were built for it doesn't mean you're doing it. Just because there's design in you and on you, just because you were built by God to do a thing, just because you were built by God to be a way does not mean you are doing it. You can be built for it and not be about it. You can be built for it and not be doing it. Just because you were built for it doesn't mean you are doing it. And just because you were built for it doesn't mean you're doing it right. Just because you were built for it, just because maybe you are someone who would say, well, you know, I am involved in these things and I, I spend time and I leverage my, my influence and my energy and my resource to be able to be about it. Listen to me, just because you were built for it and maybe even you're about it doesn't mean you're doing it right. Because people regularly use things in a way that they were never intended to use. Don't we have that expression that we'll say, we'll say, oh, 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 I mean, I know that ain't what it's for, but it'll do, <laughs> right? Come on, anybody got any it'll do's around your house? Whereas like, this isn't actually the correct way to fix this, but it'll do. <laughs> this, isn't the, this isn't the proper method of repairing that. Come on, duct tape people, but it'll do, <laughs> you know, like, like, like it's, not, it's not maybe up to code, it's maybe not up to the, the industry standard of how it's supposed to be. In fact, what is doing it wasn't even designed to do that, but it'll do. There was a long time in my life where I, I considered myself not very handy. In fact, I would tell people, I would joke with people, sometimes even in sermons like this, I would, I would make light of the fact that, listen, your boy, your boy like if somebody's breaks down, go call your boy. Like, I am not, I'm not handy. And um, the reality is, over the last many, many years, I, I have went from, uh, honestly and objectively, being not very handy to um, 
I'm serviceable, okay? Like, I'm decently handy. There, the majority of basic things that go wrong with, uh, with stuff, uh, I, ain't, I ain't scared to fix, and I, and I have a decent idea as to how to fix, and I can fix a lot of things. I'm, I've become relatively handy, and I, and I really pick, like, the marking moment for that. To be actually when my family, we moved into the city, uh, before Believing Church was even a thing, we moved into the city to start Believing. And when we moved into the city, we uh, were fortunate enough to purchase a house. And we purchased a house that was built in the early 1950s, which I absolutely love. <laughs> Homes built in the 50s because there is a quality of materials and a craftsmanship that, um, that is fantastic. It has stood the test of time. And that little house that we lived in was, um, was fantastic in the way that it was built. I remember even hanging pictures for the first time and, and just putting a little nail in the sheetrock. And the type of, of sheetrock used in the house was so dense compared to what's often used like in, in newer homes. And I was like, whoa, this is wild. This is crazy. This is wonderful. Like, like I like the way it's built. But not everything that was built, installed, or created in 1950 is still going to find its way working some 70 years later. You know what I'm saying? And so I found myself very early on, even though I was not handy, having to figure out a way to be handy because it was either you become handy or you got to call these repairmen. And when you as broke as the Ten Commandments because you're trying to start a church, uh, you figure out how to become handy, you know what I'm saying? And so I, I, I spent a lot of time on the YouTubes learning how to replace light switches and learning how to change out a light fixture and not burn down your house or electrocute yourself, you know? Like, like I learned how to repair certain little, little, little plumbing things and I, I just, I learned some stuff. And one of the most profound lessons I learned, I remember it was like light bulbs going off on the inside of me. That a whole lot of being handy, I learned, is about having tools that were designed to do the job that you're trying to do. That if you ain't got the right tools, like a tool that was purposed and built to do that thing, you can have all the best intentions, you can try as much as you want, you can work, you can get sweaty, you can holler, yell, cuss, do whatever you got to do, it ain't going to fix it. But if you've got a tool that has a design on it to do that thing, you can get somewhere. My first house, uh, my wife and I bought, we were fortunate to buy very, very young. And we were living in Texas at the time. I was, gosh, I think I was 22 or 23 years old. I was very young. And, uh, and what was very important to me with this, this new house um, was making sure my yard looked right. And, and so uh, we had just moved in this new house. Again, we were, we were young. And if you've ever moved into a house for the first time, you know, a lot of people, you're just trying to get by. You, you can't go out and buy everything exactly. What, and so we were just getting by. And I remember I bought this used lawnmower and this used trimmer to, uh, to handle my, my grass because I was cutting my grass. And my neighbor had the most beautiful grass. And it wasn't just the way he cut it. It was the edging that he had. Man, he had this straight edge that was really, really deep, uh, like kind of into the dirt, it was like real clean. And it wasn't like this moat, like it was just clean. And I was like, this is incredible. You gotta understand, in Texas, the soil is like very clay-based. And so it's like a rock. And I was out there with my little trimmer and I could cut the grass to the soil, but I couldn't get that little, that little, little trench in the line. And I used to be so frustrated. And I was like, his looks so good, why can't I get this? And, 
I remember there was one day I was out there cutting the cutting the grass and and, and I was going over my my edging multiple times. I was probably on about my third time around and my neighbor happened to see me making all these laps around my edging. And uh, he's an older, older, older guy and he, he would call me son. Uh, I think it was because he forgot my name, but uh, he called me son. And he said, son, uh, what you doing over there? You keep, uh, you keep walking up and down the driveway, just keep edging and edging and edging, like everything all right? And I explained to him, I was like, you know, I'm trying to get my edge like yours. Like, I like how it's into the dirt a little bit. Like, it's just clean. It looks perfect. And I was like, maybe it's this, you know, this sorry, like, used weed eater trimmer thing that I got. Maybe I need something stronger. He said, no, 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 no. He said, it's not your, your trimmer. He said, it's the line in your trimmer. I said, what are you talking about? He said, the line that's in your trimmer isn't built to do what you're trying to do with it. He said, you'd be out here all day long, but in this kind of soil, especially when it's hot and dry and firm like this, he said, you ain't ever gonna get into the clay. I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, there are different gauges of trimmer line. And he said, you basically got the, 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 the weakest, <laughs> lightest trimmer line you could find. You basically got some thread, some sewing thread up in your thing. That, and it's fine to like edge around the house and, you know, and kind of like trim up the top of the grass, but it ain't ever going to get into that dirt. You need to go to the store and you need to get some heavier gauge. And I, it blew my mind because I was out here working so hard and I went and got some different gauge line and put it in my trimmer. And the next thing you know, my yard was looking better than his one because cause, cause now I had the tool to do what it is I was trying to do. But I would have spent days, weeks, months, years more frustrated that I couldn't get what I needed, couldn't get what I wanted because I was using something that wasn't built to do what I was trying to do. Can I tell you, I believe there are a lot of people under the sound of my voice listening to this podcast, watching at church online, wherever you may be, however you may be in this moment, this season of life, that some of you, you feel frustrated. You feel frustrated because you're trying to do a thing, but you don't feel very effective at the thing because maybe you're trying to do a thing that you weren't built to do. Maybe you have gotten yourself so preoccupied with, with what's going on, so preoccupied with stuff going on in your life that you have lost what your purpose actually is. You have lost what your uh, calling actually is specifically and individually. And that can even happen spiritually. Because as, as spiritual beings, as people following Jesus, there are some things that we are built for. There are some things that we are built to do. But sometimes we don't give ourselves fully to those and we miss out on the purposes that God has for our lives. Please understand, when you do what you're built for, you will experience what you long for. When you do what you are built for, you will experience what you long for because there are a lot of people who trick themselves into thinking what they long for is rest and relaxation. Can I tell you what we actually long for? Significance and purpose. Find somebody doing what they were built to do and you will find somebody that ain't trying to, trying to step out. They ain't trying to take a break. They ain't worried about burning out because they have given themselves fully to something they know and believe is significant and it falls in line with what they were built to do. What happens is is sometimes we don't give ourselves fully to those things that we were built to do, that we were built for. And what happens is, is we 
cope with trying to say, well, what I really need is rest and relaxation. No, you don't. What you actually need is to fall in line with what you were built for. And when you fall in line with what you were built for, what you will find is purpose and significance like you haven't experienced in your life come alive on the inside of you. And it will fuel you because you are doing what you were built to do. But a lot of us are frustrated because we're trying to create an edge and that ain't what we built for. Or, or the tools in our hand, we're trying to install something and we weren't built to do that thing. See, really, ultimately, this series comes back to purpose. And not just purpose that you may uniquely have for your life, purpose that God has put on all of our lives as human beings. Purpose that God has installed and instilled inside of every one of us as people of faith trying to follow him. Purpose that not only do you have individually, but we have collectively. And when you and I do individually what we're supposed to do collectively, something powerful happens because we were built for it. And so before we dive into the specifics on today, I want to, as a way of setting a foundation for this series, help you to understand what are known as the five laws of purpose. I will go through these relatively quickly, but I, I pray they sit in you as an understanding and a definition for what it is we are talking about when we talk about purpose in the upcoming days, weeks, and <laughs> throughout this series. And so in your notes, if you're taking notes today at, uh, on our website, or maybe you just want to jot a few of these down, let me give you these five laws of purpose. Here's the first one. The first law says this, that nothing exists without purpose. Nothing does. Nothing exists without purpose. Isn't that what we say when we see something maybe in a in a building or see something in a different part of town or see something even in, in, in what is normal to us and it seems a little random, we say, um, I wonder why that's there. Isn't that what we say? I wonder why that's there. Or maybe somebody designs or decorates in a certain way and say, I wonder why they chose that. I wonder why they put that there. I wonder why that's there. They don't wonder what it is, they may know exactly what it is. They wonder why that thing is there because nothing exists without purpose. There is a reason for the existence of anything and everything that exists. Anything, anyone. Nothing exists without purpose. The second law is this, that purpose determines the potential of anything. Purpose determines the potential of anything. You can't do what you're not purposed to do. And if you do it anyway, it'll be aggravating. It is the person trying to be something they were not purposed to be. It is the person trying to do something. So some of you, this is you, that you were not purposed to do. It's trying to force it. It's trying to make it happen. It's trying to twist and to probe and to prod and to push and to just force it. Because this ought to do. Purpose determines the potential of anything. You don't have high potential in those things you weren't purposed to do, but you have infinite potential in those things that you were purposed to do. Number three, no object or product determines its own purpose. It is not the tool in the shed that says, this is my purpose. No, 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 no. Whoever made the product determines the best use of the product, right? 
Whoever designed it with an intention in mind said this is going to be the first and best use of this thing. Yes, you can take this podium designed to hold an iPad or a Bible or a tablet or some notes and it's used to be. You can take this table and you can use it as a chair and it'll do, but it also might break because it went meant to hold your big butt. It, It was meant to hold a little book. It was meant to hold an iPad that weighs a pound. It was meant to hold a few little, little, little light things. It wasn't meant for that. Why? Because the person who designed it, the person who built it, determined its purpose. Number four, failure occurs when purpose is ignored. We fail in our lives, not because we are some cosmic and cataclysmic failure. We fail because we ignore our purpose. Maybe you've heard Einstein's uh, explanation concerning a fish. And Einstein, we know Einstein, he was smart about a few things. And he said if you take a fish and you place it on the land uh, and and tell that fish to live and to thrive, that fish is going to feel so inadequate and so dumb and so useless because a fish can't thrive on the land. But if you take that same fish and you put it in a jar of water, you put it in a pond, or you put it in the ocean, and it's gonna thrive, and it's gonna live, and it's gonna enjoy, why? Because it's in the environment it was designed, it was purposed to be in. Failure occurs when purpose is ignored. When you ignore how you're built, when you ignore why you're built, when you ignore what you're built for, failure becomes inevitable. And the fifth law of purpose says this, that nothing exists for itself. There's no thing in this life, no thing in your life, in my life, no person who is designed to exist for themselves. No body and no thing's purpose is to be for itself and itself alone. And so through this series, here's what I want to do. I want to highlight what you were built for by God. And I want to charge us individually and collectively to do what we were built for. And that is going to start on today with worship. Let me say it again. You were built for worship. Now, some of you even hear that word and hear that thought and and instantly divide yourself into one of two camps. Some people get excited talking about, oh, I love the singing. Yes, I do. And uh, you're like, I love it. I love it. This is great. This is wonderful. I am built for worship. Uh Like, Like you excited. And then there are others of you that are like, well, I don't really like music. In fact, that's why I like church online, because then I can just listen to the sermon. And I like the sermon, but I ain't really about that singing. I certainly ain't about them clapping and lifting and shouting. And I ain't about that. Hmm. You were built for worship. And if your immediate understanding of worship is so small-minded as to be constrained and confined to that simple thinking... You've missed it. And so I need to help you to understand what I mean by worship, what the scriptures mean by worship, what God means by worship when he said that you and I are created by him, our creator, with a purpose. And that purpose is to worship. See, in your notes, there are two big thoughts I want to give to you today. And here's the first one. Would you write this down? That you are built to give God worship. You are built... I am built to give God worship. 
In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 21, the prophet says it this way. He says, this people, he's speaking the word of God to the people of God. This people I have formed for myself, they will declare my praise. This is God speaking to people. He's saying, the people that I formed, the people that I gathered, the people that I created, listen to me. I formed them for myself, and their whole purpose, their whole reason for being is to give me praise. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. This is the way the scripture reads. It says, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. Come on, this is the book of Revelation speaking this out. The, uh, John the Revelator communicating that, that God has created all things. And it's for his glory and it is for his honor that all these things were created. Now this is backwards from what most of us think. Most of us think, we never say this. Most of us act, although we never communicate this, that we think God exists for us. No, we exist for God. Maybe you'll remember the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament, the book of Exodus with Moses. The very first of those commandments, God makes this very clear as he articulates it to Moses and then Moses then brings it down from Mount Sinai and gives it to all the people. He says, you will have no other gods before me. And for many of us, what we think, what we picture, what we contextualize when we hear this or see this is we think, of course, I don't have any other gods before gods. I ain't got no little shrine sitting around my house. I ain't got no little unicorns that I be praying to. Come on, come on. I ain't got that stuff. Now, that person that live on Mount Moriah got that big Buddha in their yard. They, they probably got some other gods before. But like, not me. I have no other gods before thee, oh God. And we uh, apply it, sure, that's an expression of it. But most people don't call it worship when they're worshiping other things. They call it a priority. Maybe it would be clearer and more applicable and more uh, potent to hear said, you should have no other priorities before God. Or some of us will call it our passion. I'm just passionate about this thing. Or this is my personal preference. And so I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to worship this way. Or I'm going to sing this way. Or I'm not going to do that. Or I'm not going to really do that a lot because, you know, just my time and this... No other gods before him. See, when you consistently choose that over God, you need to understand that you are worshiping that. When you prioritize that consistently over God, you worship that. When you prioritize that want, that need, that person, that thing, that product over God, you worship that. When you are more passionate about that thing, that outcome, those folks, then you are God. You worship that. When your personal preferences lead you to not do the things that God has made clear you are supposed to do, you are worshiping that. And you need to understand today, whether you call yourself a person of faith or not, everyone worships. You do, I do, 
people that love God, people that don't know God, we all worship. Because God has given humanity, us as humans, this choice. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy puts it really, really well and clearly. God says, I have laid before you two options. Then he goes on this. He's like, I've given you the choice of life and of death. I've given you blessing and I've given you cursing. I've given you my way or you can go your own way. And we choose whether or not we follow God in his ways or not. We choose whether or not we're going to worship God or not. And we choose that by what and when we worship. We choose whether or not we're following God or not. Whether we are walking in by we are going to give God worship or not. By what and by when we worship. See, you need to understand what happens even in these collected, gathered moments. Services are times for the worshipers to worship. Come on, when you're joining us at church online, or whether you gather in in person with us, wherever you are, one of our primary purposes, in fact, the primary purpose of us gathering as people is to worship God. To say it another way, You are not just an attender of a church service. You are to be a worshiper. See, a lot of people set the bar so low for themselves because they think they're doing something right because they showed up because they attended. No, no, no. Attendance is not God's call on your life. Attendance is not his purpose for you. Worship is. And when we gather, one of our primary purposes when we gather, one of our primary purposes as a church is to worship God. Not just to attend. Now please hear me. Coming to service is worship. Come on, those of you joining us at church online, those who may join at church online sometimes, show up in person sometimes, those that show up in person predominantly, you need to understand, coming to a service is worship. Because you are prioritizing the people of God and the house of God and worshiping God over whatever else you might be doing with these minutes. Because you could be out on a walk. You could be on a golf course. You could be sleeping in. You could be taking some time to go be brunching with your But you are choosing to prioritize God, his people, and worship to him over whatever else may be trying to scream to be a priority in your life. And so when you come to serve, listen, you need to understand that is worship. But also singing is worship. What's the Bible say? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Singing is worship. Not just singing by those who sing well. No, we give them microphones. But if you don't sing well, like myself, can I tell you singing is still something we are called to do? Because when we sing and declare the goodness and the faithfulness and the praise of our God, that is worship to him. The Bible says shouting is worship. Some of you think shouting is, is only, for the, only for the Pentecostal people. It's only for the extroverts. It's only for those who, who are a little more, little more out there. No, no, no. You need to understand shouting is worship. Clapping is worship. The Bible says clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. This is not some expression only delineated to some particular type of people. You need to understand, people of God, that when you clap, when you shout, you are worshiping God. It is worship. Dancing is worship. If you can dance, hearing God's word is worship. I think one of the most striking moments in all of the scripture to me actually occurs in the book of Nehemiah at the end. And the people of God have been, have been displaced and disbanded for 
a few generations as they have been in exile. But now because of the leadership of Nehemiah, the walls have been rebuilt and people are beginning to return to Jerusalem, return to this, this, this city that God had, had given them. And the prophet Ezra comes and and for the first time in the place where the people of God gather, uh, the, the man of God stands up and he simply just begins to read the law of God. You'll have no other gods before me. Don't make unto you any graven image. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't steal, don't kill, don't cut. Like these things. And the people were so moved. They began to lift their hands. They began to shout. They began to cry. They began to respond in worship to the word of God. Because when you hear God's word, it's worship. And when you respond to his word, it's worship. When you use your gifts and your talents for God, it's worship. When you pray, it's worship. When you give, it's worship. We have made worship so small and confined it to one little activity. And oh, I don't really sing all that well. I don't really like them song. And you need to miss me with all this. Jesus said in John 4 that the time is coming. Indeed, it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. He is not looking for those who find themselves just at the right places. He is not looking for those who find themselves just doing the manicured and perfect things. He is looking for those who will give themselves fully to him in worship. And so my question for you on today is this. Are you worshiping or just attending? Are you worshiping God or are you simply attending? Because you weren't built to attend church service. Can I tell you, church will get very old, very dry, very stale, very mundane, very repetitive if you are simply looking for something to attend to entertain you. That's the reason people will use this expression that they are shopping for a church. That's why I do everything I can to take down our listing. I ain't looking for shoppers. I'm looking for people who are far from God and for people who want to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. People who recognize that when we gather, it is to lift up his name and his name above all else. Doesn't matter how I feel, doesn't matter what I've been going through, doesn't matter whether I like the song, I like the music, I like the sermon, I don't like the sermon, I like the temperature, I don't like the temperature, none of that matter. Because I was built to give God worship. I stumbled across this dude saying something online. I think it was this last week. Maybe it was a week before last. There's a, a guy I know, but like I don't, I don't talk to him all the time. And he don't go to his church. And he don't even live around here, so I can say this. I ain't even say his name. But he just made this statement, and it struck me. And I, I understand the heart of what he meant. And, and I, I honestly believe it comes from a good heart because he's a, he's a good guy. He loves the Lord. He, he's trying his best. But he had, he had gone to this, um, this concert. And this concert, it was a gathering of, uh, of people around this particular Christian worship group. It's uh, based out of a church and they travel from time to time and will put on these big events and arenas and it's great. And, uh, and they have a time of music and singing, worship, and a time of, of hearing God's word and responding to it, also worship. 
And this guy had attended one of these events, right? One of these concert rally night things. And he, he wrote in this statement, just kind of like tagging what had gone on. He said, he said this, he said, he said it was the best. He said, I've never worshiped so hard in my life. Which, again, I understand. And I ain't, I ain't judging old dude. But I think there are a lot of us that if we be honest, the level of worship we bring to God has more to do with what's presented on a stage than it does what's in our heart. The level of worship we bring to God has more to do with, did they sing the song I like? Do they play music that I enjoy? Or is it a little too different for me? Was the preacher on his game today? Or did that seem like, like well, you tried. Good job. Because let me tell you something. I don't worship based on a song that's sung. Baby, you can sing something out of a hymnal. You can sing something led on a banjo. You can sing stuff I actually like. You can have a bunch of instruments, no instruments, a bunch of singers, no singers. They can sing well. They can sing poorly. It don't matter to me. God has been good, and God has saved, and God has cleansed, and God has redeemed. And so I will give God worship. It don't matter what's going on. The preacher can preach the paint off the walls or the preacher can almost bore me to tears. If he's talking about my king, if he's talking about my Lord, I will give God worship. And that is what you, that is what I, we were built to do. We were built to give God worship. And if you don't, you will try to fill that need. You will try to fill Use what you were purposed to do in some other capacity. You will turn your whole reason for being into being about yourself rather than being about the one who created you and put purpose in you and on you. Because you are built to worship God. You are built to give God worship. But that is not where worship ends. See, if you're taking notes, please write this down as well. You are built to live out worship. Worship is not something simply confined to these moments that we gather together. You were built to live out worship. The book of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the apostle Paul records it this way. He says, therefore... That's an important word. Somebody maybe even I'll type that in the chat or just say it out loud so you don't forget it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. The book of Romans has been called the greatest theological work ever written, and I would concur. Up to this point in the book of Romans, for those of you that are unfamiliar, chapters 1 through 11 are very theological in nature. Paul spends a lot of time reminding the people he's writing to of who God is, of what God has done, of the salvation that's been made available to them, of the incredible grace, the incredible mercy that has been given to them by God. So many of the verses that maybe even if you only know a couple verses are going to be found probably in those first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the book of Romans. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's all Romans in that early part. 
But when we get to chapter 12, Paul starts it with this word that we translate as therefore. In other words, he's saying in light of everything that God has already done, in light of everything that Jesus has already fulfilled and made available for you, in light of it all, therefore you got work to do. Now, it's your turn. His focus shifts from being about all that God has done and all oh, I'm so thankful for God to now you got something to do. And what he's saying is in light of all that God has done, in light of all that God has made available, in light of all that God has provided for you, now it's time for us to worship in how we live every day of our life. So you need to understand that if worship stops when the service stops, that's a problem. If worship is something you come to and you give an hour or so to it at church online or you give an hour and a half to it at church in person or you give just these little moments, you give these little, and that's all of worship for you, can I tell you, you've missed all that worship is supposed to be about. We're supposed to live a life of worship, not just sing songs of worship. And we should view and utilize every day, every interaction, every often overlooked opportunity as the chance to worship our God. I wrote it this way in my notes. Maybe you would write it down in yours. That all the things are opportunities for the worshipers to worship. All the things. All the things in our life are opportunities for the, the true worshipers to worship God. See, you're not just to be a worshiper in a service. You're to be a worshiper in your life. You are not to be just a worshiper in a service that, oh, yeah, well, you know, I make it a priority and I'm going to sing the song and I'm going to hear and I'm going to respond to the word in that service. But then I'm going to go live my life. You are missing what it means to be a worshiper. Can I tell you how you do business? Is an opportunity to worship. The way you conduct your business at work, whether you're the boss, whether you're an employee whether you're full-time, part-time, in a temp service, like you need to understand how you do business is an opportunity for you to either bring worship to God or not. How you treat people, the people you need, and even the people that you don't necessarily need, how you treat people is either an opportunity for you to worship God or you're passing over the opportunity. Like, when you have an interaction with somebody, it's almost like the same, if I could put a mental, it's, it's like when you decide on Sunday morning whether or not you're going to go to church or not. Am I going to go to church online or not? Am I going to show up in person or not? That decision you think of is choosing to worship, choosing not to worship. When you interact with someone, whether you extend to them love and grace and humility and concern because they are special and important to our God, whether you extend that to them or not, it's like that same decision. Am I going to worship God or not? Studying hard is worship. Those of you in school, those of you going to class, studying hard is worship. How you parent is either worship or it's not. How you be a kid is either worship or it's not. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. Come on. How you love difficult people is either worship or it's not. 
How you steward whatever God's giving you is either worship or it's not. How you process and navigate all things in this life is either worship or it's not. And some of us like to divorce our worship and confine it just to a few moments on a Sunday. And we are missing all the opportunities, all the time that God has called us to worship. Because the book of Colossians tells us that whatever we do, you do is unto the Lord. Whatever you do, do it as though you are working for the Lord. Because you're working for the Lord, not for people. So let me ask you this then, are you worshiping or are you just living? Are you taking advantage of the opportunities that you have every single day, every single moment, with every single interaction to worship God or are you just living your life? Because too many people of faith, they compartmentalize their life and they think that worship is only a Sunday service activity or worship is only an activity confined to singing songs. Worship is only an activity confined to, to, to somebody with keys or somebody with a guitar or somebody with a microphone singing. And I think to a certain extent we've missed it. There's been this interesting phenomenon that's gone on for years and years now. For people feeling like they're really doing something for God. If they gather in peculiar places and sing songs to God. You know, there's groups of people who like to travel around and go to uh, Capitol buildings in each state, the capital of our United States, and have times of singing songs to God. And in its purest form, I understand the idea. It's fine, whatever. When I was in high school, and it, it still goes on, but maybe it doesn't have the, the push that it, it once had, there was an event uh, that went on at high schools, and it was sort of this interdenominational sort of push. It was a really uh, neat thing. It was called See You at the Pole. And, and what it was, pretty early on in the school year, usually, usually kind of in the middle part of September, uh, there would be a morning where they would encourage students all over the country to gather at their flagpoles and pray for their school, pray for their country, pray for the teachers, as this show and sign of we are trusting God. And I remember I was a, a part of a, a, a club at my high school, the Fellowship of Christian Students. And uh, my junior, senior year, I helped lead in this, in this club. And, um, we decided um, we were going to do a concert with a like, semi-famous Christian band uh, at our school. And we got them to come for free. And so what we set up is we set up one of the people in the band to come to our CU at the Pole, because we wanted to make our CU at the Pole big. And it was going to be like that morning, and then that night we are going to have the concert. And it, oh, man, it's going to be wild. And, and, and it, it was like this thing that we promoted and promoted and promoted. This person going to be there, this person going to be there, this person going to be there. And we had this big turnout for our CU at the Pole. And you know, this person played their guitar and sang a little song, and people are singing outside right in front of the school. And they pray, and then I remember we were heading into school because school was about to start. You know, those of us who had helped lead it felt like, man, this was just a huge success. And I remember this teacher who was a Christian, who was one of our sponsors with the Fellowship of Christian Students. Um, I was so excited. I was telling man, this is great. Look at the turnout. Look at all the people, man. You hear the singing. It was awesome. And they said to me, they said, yeah, that's, that's great. Now let's go worship in there by how we live. And there's such truth to that. We have caricatured worship to simply be the singing of songs. And it's supposed to be so much more than that. See, you're worshiping by how you live. Or you are not worshiping by how you live. 
There's a song years ago that was written where the artist said, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And then he said this, he said, I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it because it's all about you. It's not about my feelings and my preferences. It's not about whether the, the lights are a certain way or the volume is a certain way. It's not about whether I know the song or don't know the song, whether I like that person or don't like it's, it's not about the things that I've made. It. It's all about you. And then he has this other part where he says, he says, I'll bring you more than a song. He says, because a song in itself is not what you have required. And I think that's so true for us today. Some of us need to come back to what we're built for. We were built for worship. We were built to worship God. To every time, every opportunity we gather with God's people to worship him. Whether that sermon hit or it didn't. Whether that song hit or it didn't. Whether we loved it or we didn't really like it or we didn't know it or we didn't understand it. We give God worship and we recognize that our worship doesn't stop when the song stops the worship doesn't stop when the preacher says amen but my worship really starts there and I go live my life as worship among people who don't know God and people who do know God and with my neighbors and my children and my and my classmates and my co-workers and people that that I've known for a long time and people that I'm just meeting and the way I live is worship because that's what I was built to do I was built for worship. And so today, friend, my charge for you in this season must be built for worship. As a church, we're about to step into a time of, of, of more going on. Can I tell you, maybe some of you, even the step you'll take to be built for worship is just to say, you know what? I'm going to start prioritizing Sundays. I'm going to be at church online or I'm going to be at church in person every single Sunday. And I'm going to give God, I'm not going to view it as some priority on a list, but I'm going to prioritize it where it needs to be. Gathering with God's people, worshiping him matters, and I will be there. Some of you need to start opening your eyes to the whole of your life and seeing that there are opportunities for you to worship every day of your life. And you need to start taking those moments in class and taking those moments in the warehouse and taking those moments with investors and taking those moments when you're at your company and when you're doing all that you're doing and realizing those are moments to worship. Not just time to endure, moments to worship. Because you were built for it. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you and I thank you. Father, I pray this word would sink deep into our hearts today. Help us to be people who do gather and worship but also be people who scatter and go live worshiping you wherever we are, however we are, for the honor of your great name. Let us never forget that we are built for this, to worship and bring honor and praise to you. God, give us the strength and the wisdom to see it, to know it, to do it. Pray all this, Jesus, in your name. And everybody said...